They're statistics. Uh, they're just an estimate of facts. You know, nobody actually knows the exact numbers of how many people there are and who's really a believer except for God alone. Um, but those statistics do point to a general truth uh, that is, there is very likely millions of people speaking the same language out there in Iran and in Bangladesh where not one of them that speaks their language is a believer to share Christ with somebody or to be invited to church or to get handed a Bible. Uh, and it's, it's reality. It's part of the world we live in. The video there, um, I, don't, I don't think we should feel condemned, but hopefully uh, it stirs up some kind of compassion in us, recognizing that uh, everybody is going to stand and give an account before God someday of their life. And hopefully uh, they're going to know Jesus. But, you know, the dilemma is uh, how will they hear the gospel message unless somebody is sent, unless somebody goes. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. Uh, the good news is, here's some good news for that video. It's kind of cool. Okay, so that was made 10 years ago. The people who made that video used the joshuaproject.net uh, website to compose those stats. Hopefully you all have checked out that website by now. Colby mentioned it a couple times. It's basically a website uh, ministry whose purpose is to give some definition to the unfinished task of taking the gospel, preaching it to all the nations uh, until Christ comes back. So here's the good news. The Azeri Turks, they live in Iran. I mean, this is like good news mixed with reality. Uh, since 10 years ago, they used to say 0% on that video. Now, the missiologists at the Joshua Project say, you know, 1.4 to 1.5% of those people actually are Christian adherents, you know, believe the gospel at some level. That's 250,900 people, 995, you know, to be exact. I mean, these numbers represent souls. It's kind of a big deal. God knows the exact numbers. Uh, and maybe you've heard that in, in Iran. There's been a whole lot of uh, neat gospel revival going on. So some of that's happened among the Azeri Turks. Uh, the reality of that is the population of the Azeri Turks also grew by uh, 2,200,000 people. It's like there's just work to be done. Uh, and then here's, here's the bad news, I think. So that's kind of good news mixed with bad news. Here's the bad news. The Brahmins in India, so these are a people group within India. They're spread around. They're not like in one um, region or one state. But their people group speak their own language. 57 million of them. Their population went up to 59 million in the last two years. And it's still at 0.0% of Brahmins in India. There's no known Brahmin Christian in the world today. It's kind of mind-blowing, according to joshuaproject.net. The sheikh in Bangladesh, um, Muslims, uh, in the video it said 0.00%. Uh, it's the same, 0.0%. Nobody's been able to reach them, or God hasn't opened their eyes up yet. Um, I mean, God's ultimately the one who's in the business of salvation here. But there's a need there. There's people that need to go. So I think uh, just to start that out, you know, I think it's kind of powerful to share stats like that. And I think it should help us to pause and think and, uh, and motivate us, kind of like what Josh is saying. What are we doing with our life that's, that's going to count for eternity, whether we're working at the grocery store or we're on the mission field, or we, how are we involved in engaging the reality that there are people waiting uh, for the gospel right now? And to obey God and go, you know, it's written in the Bible, therefore I'm going to do it. That's a great motivation. Hey, I'm going to honor Christ. I'm a doer. I like to keep the rules. 
Some of us are wired that way. I'm going to do it. Uh, another great motivation is compassion, right? You kind of hear about something. You put yourself in their shoes. What the heck was God doing when he blessed me with being born in the United States of America? Why wasn't I born as a sheik, Muslim in Bangladesh? Uh, well, you got God's grace off the bat. Your parents took you to church, maybe. Uh, it's a big deal. But there's people out there right now, they don't have that blessing. They're waiting. So this uh, deal of compassion is a little bit of, of my heart, is that we would all grow in compassion uh, for the lost, whether they are near or far away. And also, uh, we're going to get into God's word and, and look at what is this great commission. Uh, but eternity is at stake. Uh, eternity is a big deal. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for a man once to die. And after this, there's a judgment. Uh, now, that, it doesn't matter if you're a uh, Hindu that believes in reincarnation. Uh, the Bible is crystal clear. There's, you're going to die once, and you're going to face God and give an account for your life. Acts 4.12. There's kids in this room from Sparky's who could say Acts 4.12. But it says, there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. It's a big deal. His name is Jesus. If his word doesn't go out, People don't know his name. Uh, they're not going to be saved, according to the scripture. So I'm glad we're taking this time as a church to take a few weeks to talk about missions. And over the past three weeks, as we've been studying missions, uh, the missions team has done a great job putting these flags up. Kind of reminds us, you know, uh, America is just one of many nations. It's kind of easy to think that we're something special when we're, you know, the nations are a drop in the bucket. The scriptures say, so missions team's done great putting resources out there. I'm glad to be a part of a church that's committed to missions. Um, talking about this stuff can make us feel uncomfortable, can make some of us feel excited, um, but hopefully we're stirring the waters to say, you know what, heaven is home. Um, this place isn't home. Oklahoma isn't home. Uh, wherever I was born isn't home. Heaven's home. This place is it's not going to be here eventually, and uh, we're living in light of eternity. So I'm glad um, to get a chance to speak on this. Uh, Colby asked me to share, um, you know, as a teaching elder, I'm so grateful to do it. I know it's as close to his heart. He's lived overseas, and uh, he even mentioned before he'd love to preach all these sermons and keep going, but I'm grateful that he asked me. I feel um, just a great honor in that. Let's see, Dennis kicked us off three weeks ago talking about uh, Elijah and Elisha. You guys might remember that. We had a special guest speaker over here, Moses, and we got a great story from um, Joe and Dasha. From Ukraine, which is neat, hearing a missionary report like that from some missionaries that are overseas, kind of like Josh said. How would you like it, Josh, if somebody came down to visit you and brought you like mac and cheese or something that you couldn't get in Mexico? Good idea, right? Well, it's a great small step, right, to make take the time and get the video, and I thank you guys for doing that, Reamers, because it's great to hear them and see them and see their faces. And uh, right, maybe someday we should go over there and take them mac and cheese and Oreo cookies and stuff like that and go visit them. But to hear their story, he was a, he was a kid sitting in this church, you know, just like all these kids sitting in here, listening to scripture, hearing about missions once a year or whatever, hearing missionary reports, and then at some point God called them to go and said, go and see what happens. Maybe there'll be a wife for you, and lo and behold, there was, you know, and maybe there'll be work for you to do, all right? There was plenty of work for them to do. So it's exciting to be a part of this, you know, as a church. Um, and then going, right, as, as God might call some people in here to go, um, you might have to say goodbye to things like Sirius Texas once a month, you know, or whatever. 
It's just a different world to go. Colby got to preach, and he talked a lot about the last two weeks about the Old Testament, about how this missions idea isn't kind of God's knee-jerk reaction to try to make sense of a big mistake that happened in the Garden of Eden. God had a plan from the beginning to gather people, a diverse bunch of people from all over the world, from all these nations to be in heaven, sitting around his throne. God is super into diversity and not into like some weird liberal, um, you know, immoral definition of diversity, but he is very into people of different colors, speaking different languages, worshiping in different ways with different musical instruments. That's like his thing. Um, In Genesis 12, Colby pointed out, you know, that through Abraham, God promised all the families of the earth would be blessed. In Psalm 67, Colby pointed out that God, uh, quoting, quoting the psalm, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us. We want your blessings, Lord. Let it happen. Next verse. So that your way may be known in all the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Uh, and looking back, we realize that God was setting up us in this church age to be able to reach these people from all the different nations. I don't think Colby mentioned this, but he might have. So I had some technical difficulties watching last week about the Tower of Babel. You all remember what happened with the Tower of Babel? All the people gathered together. They wanted to build this tower to the heavens in Genesis. And they said, uh, you know, let's build, this, let's build this tower. I got the quote here in Genesis 11.4. Let us build a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, God was like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Get all these different people all over the earth to glorify my name. So what did God do? He confused him, gave him all the languages. He started this whole multilingual thing. Now there's over 11,000, according to that Joshua Project website, over 11,000 different people groups all over the earth, identified by specific customs, specific languages, specific boundaries. Sometimes they have the same type of people group living in different countries, so they'll actually call them different people groups, like there might be um, Berbers from Algeria living in Algeria, and there might be Berbers that have, you know, migrated as ethnic um, refugees to Minnesota or something like that. So these different people groups, there's 17,000 different people groups around the world. And Colby pointed out that in heaven, in Revelation 7 through 9, there's a picture of all the people from Every tribe, tongue, and nation sitting around or standing in white robes praising God with their branches. Like, it is going to happen that all those, there's going to be people from these people groups that are unreached in heaven one day. It's like a prophecy. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's written. It will happen. I love that one song that we sang this morning. Uh, So it is written. I know we believe it. It's truth. It's coming. We could be a part of it by sending and going and praying, uh, or we can not be a part of it. We can just sit back and enjoy Netflix, right? And just watch life go by. Uh, According to the Joshua Project, 57% of the people groups in the world have been reached. There are some people in those groups that believe the gospel. 42.5% of the people groups in the world are still yet to be reached. There will be a minimum. I mean, I'm just using basic you know, deduction here, there'll be at least one person from each of those groups in heaven someday. That means there's statistically, I mean, ah, forget it. I won't even go there. But there's a real good likelihood if you went to go share Christ with some of these people, it's on God's heart and it's his promise to lead them to Christ. It's 
just like it's going to be hard, but go. It's going to be the most exciting thing. Anyway, so the present place we're at right now, there is a lot of work to do. The gospel message is a powerful seed. And right, if the gospel message is preached in Ignacio or in, you know, Albania or in Durango and people believe the gospel, they're going to be saved. Their eternal trajectory is going to be changed um, forever, you know, whether it's heaven or hell. Eternally resurrected to life or eternally resurrected to death. Colby shared that as Christians, we go to nations or people groups so that they may know the gospel. He also said God's calling us to cross-cultural, long-term, vocational um, missionaries. He's calling some of us. He believes that, and I believe it too. And I'm hopeful that some people in this church this morning are thinking, man, I wonder if that could be me. That's a great question to ask. It might be. Uh, God knows. By the way, vocational, it's kind of funny, a word that we don't use all that much. It's different than vacational. So vocational has to do with, right, being employed. It's like getting paid to be a missionary. It's pretty cool. Not vacational, just going and, you know, not working and relaxing. So Colby shared a quote attributed to John Piper as well, that all Christians are to go, send, or disobey. You're going to fall into one of those three camps. There's the goers, there's the senders, and there's the disobedient. And just like, you know, Joel mentioned today too, you can go right here. You don't have to go to Algeria to share the gospel with somebody. For crying out loud, you can share Christ in the grocery store, in this parking lot, over the fence, on your phone, whatever. But there's going, there's sending, and there's disobedient. Which category are you in today? Colby largely left out a whole lot of the New Testament, which is where we get a lot of specific and explicit commands about the Great Commission and about being on missions. So I get to talk about that today. So I think Colby expects me to pack it all in, so... We'll see uh, how it goes. I'm not going to share every verse that's related to missions. Obviously, there's just a ton. It's very exciting to read the Bible with that lens of missions. It's replete throughout. But um, why don't we just pray, if you want to bow your heads with me, and I would just ask God to help me share the things that he wants me to share. So, Lord God, we're grateful um, for you and you uh, creating the world and then, um, Lord, allowing us to be born and even in light of sin lord you made a way for us to be saved through the cross and even in light of the cross just happening as an event lord you sent your holy spirit to open our eyes and in fact you put people in each one of our lives to bring the gospel to us and uh, and you opened our eyes by your holy spirit and now by your holy spirit dwelling in us lord we get to obey you and worship you and walk with you Uh, we have so much to be thankful for so lord god uh, well up in us empathy and compassion for the lost for our lost local neighbors and the lost around the world use us as a local church to evangelize and teach people here in uh, la plata county lord god guard us from loving this world or even this part of the world in such a way that would keep us from obeying the call to go and lord i pray that some in this room would hear you call them to long-term cross-cultural vocational missions open up our minds lord to hear from you, and to be able to understand the scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, imagine you guys, the disciples, uh, getting ready to hear Jesus' last words. Right. So Jesus' ministry was about three years long. In the beginning, he called his disciples to come follow me, and they started dropping their fishing nets, walking away from their family business, leaving the tax booth, going away from security, giving up things that were safe and known to go follow this, like, 30-some-year-old preacher. Okay, they went all in. 
given up their you know, life ambitions to go follow Christ. When Jesus was taken and crucified on a cross, I am sure, and you can study it, they were confused. They were like, what in the heck? We were like so hopeful that this new kingdom was coming and that life was going to get better. We're going to be like Jesus' right-hand men, and now our leader has just been slaughtered before our eyes. Okay, so they were scared in the upper room. Christ raises from the grave and comes and starts telling these guys over a course of days uh, the big picture. He's like, all right, guys, I'm pulling back the curtain now. Resurrection from the dead is possible. Uh, That's actually the next thing. And over a period of 40 days, he would visit the disciples, often in supernatural ways, and then he got ready to give them his last words. Last words are a big deal. I haven't been around anybody when they were dying on their deathbed and they gave up their last words. But there's like a book you can read last words. They're fascinating, people's last words sometimes. We got a chance to give our kids some last words recently because Laura and I did something unprecedented. We've been parents now for 14 years. So much fun, so crazy. We have six kids. We have very few conversations that don't get interrupted. We do go on dates once in a while, which is great. But we've never been away where we like leave the kids with grandma and like leave town. That's, we've just never done that for 14 years. And once we had six kids, grandma was never inviting us. Hey, just drop off all the... <laughs> so we've thought about it, you know, over the years. How would, how would we do that? You know, we see other parents get away and they're refreshed and they like talk about how they did stuff they wanted to do. And, you know, without their kids and just communicate and enjoy each other. So I started piecing this together. This year we celebrated 20 years. And I started talking to Laura. I said, Laura, it is going to take a team of committed, individual, yeah, committed individuals to watch these six kids, three of whom have special needs. And God pulled all the pieces together. It was kind of fun. So anyway, week and a week before Thanksgiving, we started driving around uh, the state of Colorado, dropping off kids. So we packed the car up with everything, <laughs> headed north, and we got to Grand Junction. And that was our first suspect. You know, here's our, you know, unsuspecting person. But it was Nana and Grumpy. That's Laura's mom and dad. So they were willing to watch Uriah. Praise God. So Uriah, we drop him off. We hang out there and eat lunch with him. And then we had these, like, last words, right? Like, Uriah, (laughs) these are the things we don't want you to forget. Really. You know, we had last words for Nana and Grumpy. And that was kind of, like, easy. But it was like, Uriah, you're the one who's responsible for you. Can you be sure to take your medicine? Will you be sure to, like, go to bed on time every night and help out, for crying out loud, you know, and do some chores or whatever? Just be, be a good kid and, and stay focused. We'll come back, okay? Go to the next, you know, two hours east of Gypsum, and we're dropping off the next two kids. And, you know, we're telling Malachi and Asa, we love you. Have fun with Aunt Heather and Uncle Josh. And please, like, help out. You know, this is really important. <laughs> if they ask you to do something, do it. Change your underwear, you know? If they ask you to jump in the car, like, don't be the last one in the car. It's important. You're on somebody else's schedule. And we're just, like, hopeful that the kids, you know, and then we're always saying, like, please, please, please. And the kids are starting to say, okay, okay, okay. It's like, we heard you. We know. And, and so it is, you know, but we wanted to make sure the message got through to him. Anyway, Laura and I had a great time being away. Asher uh, had a friend. Eden and Willow had a friend. But at the same time, we're telling all these kids, please, please, please. Last words are important. And each one of those host families, praise God, you know, took care of our kids, you know. The whole story went well. But the point is, when Jesus was given these last words, I think he realized, like, you know, like, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's critical. But these are my last words that are going to get written in red in the Bible that you're going to repeat, like, again and again and again. 
So when Jesus uh, gave them, I think he wanted us to remember them. So I'm going to focus on two sections of scripture today of Jesus giving um, the Great Commission. So the first one is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And the author, Matthew, uh, shares this. It's pretty familiar, pretty explicit. We read it this morning already. It might be on the screen. But Jesus came and he said to the disciples, uh, this is when uh, 11 of the disciples were gathered together. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm just going to break it down a little bit. And I know this might be more familiar to some of you than others, but I'm also praying that God might speak to people and hear something new. So you might follow along in the Bible if you want to, if you want to turn to that Matthew 28 passage. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, There is no greater permission that we need to obey Christ in doing the Great Commission and making disciples than hearing from Jesus. We don't need our school's permission or our church's permission or our parents' permission or our government's permission. We're commanded by Christ, the highest authority, to obey him. We're going to give an account to him for what we did with his commands someday. Not to this church, not to our government, not to some other body. We're going to give an account to God. He has all authority on heaven and earth, and he's the one who gives this command. If you're a follower, he gave it to the 11 disciples at that moment. If you're a disciple of Christ, he's speaking it to them. They actually passed it down to us. It got to us. It's a command to us from Christ, even though it went through the disciples, through the Bible. You know how it was recorded in God's word. He says then, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Okay, this is kind of like the main verb in this passage of scripture he says make disciples a disciple is simply a learner or somebody who's dedicated to a certain set of teachings or doctrines so this is christ make disciples how do you want to do this next part of the, oh he says do it in all nations right so we colby's been talking about that for three weeks all the nations all the ethnos all the people groups how should you make disciples look at the next passage baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit Okay, baptizing implies helping believers take some real formal steps of faith and action. You know, it's in the Bible, it's at the beginning of somebody's Christian walk. He's saying, baptize those new believers. Help them take formal steps of faith to following me, to following Christ. Side note, if you want to follow Jesus in baptism and you haven't yet, you should. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to me. Get more information. But Jesus is saying, do this, baptize them. And then he says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. There's a lot of things that Jesus said to do in the Bible. And by extrapolation, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Word of God, who's been speaking and who's been used through the Old Testament, you have a lot of things to figure out and discern from the Old Testament. What are we obeying here? What makes sense? What are we uh, following that Christ left us, left us from the uh, Ten Commandments, for example. Teach those believers to obey all the things that I've commanded you. So this baptizing and teaching are two things that Christians are called to do, disciples are called to do in helping to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, oh yeah, therefore, I believe the greatest thing we could do for a new believer is give them a Bible, pray that they would read it, pray that God would give them an appetite for reading God's word, help them understand it, of course. And the last part Jesus says is, Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus said this 
and then he ascended into heaven. So it's kind of ironic. He said, hey, I'm going to be with you guys forever. Like, don't be afraid. I'm going with you. By the way, I'm getting taken up into the clouds. So he's saying that because later he was going to give the Holy Spirit, right, to be with us. So Holy Spirit is with us. Christ is with us through the Holy Spirit. All these passages have something in common. Or I'm sorry, all those verses about the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, have some similarities and some differences from what the author Luke shared. So I'm going to read the passage here, and maybe it'll be on the screen. I'm not sure if the guy's got it. This is Luke 24, 45 to 49, if you want to look in your Bible. This is how Jesus gave his last words, his kind of like how I did it. Please, 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 you know, don't forget these things. So important. Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's like the Old Testament scriptures. He's sharing these truths and this command, referencing the Old Testament. And he said to them, he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Uh, theologians would call that illumination, something that the Holy Spirit does right now. Sometimes you read the Bible and you feel like your eyes are bouncing off the page because you're actually thinking about like, something you should be doing instead of the Bible. Okay. When God opens up your mind and you understand the scriptures and it becomes really clear and it becomes like extremely understandable, the Holy Spirit's doing his job. He's illuminating us. So Christ opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Every time... Colby preaches up here. He prays like that. God, would you do things and be the teacher here? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the teaching. He's the one who does it. So Jesus is starting out his great commission like that. He's opening up their minds to hear it. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So this word proclamation is not in the Matthew passage, which is kind of interesting to me. So may I just make a note on that. But this proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name, it's a new, clearer emphasis. That's in Matthew. This is where evangelism is really clearly commanded. Proclaiming Christ, the Messiah, his death and resurrection. Sharing the message of the gospel with the lost. Or really with those you don't know if they're Christians or not. Sometimes I share Christ with people, like a waitress or somebody, you know, that I run into in life. I don't know if they're Christian or not. I don't think that's important to figure out if you're doing evangelism or not. You're proclaiming. You might be reminding a Christian of the greatest truth in the world. But sharing Christ with people as you go is a big deal. Jesus says to do it all over the world. So that message, he gave a little summary of the message. Christ, or this Jewish Messiah, suffered, dies, died, and rose to life on the third day. Repentance is part of this message. Forgiveness of sin is part of this message. Kind of like Colby was saying last week, it's not about... Uh, what, just waving somebody in on traffic. That's not evangelism. We're talking about truths about Jesus Christ that are unique to him, about his death, resurrection, forgiveness, repentance, faith in him. Anyway, in this passage, he goes on to say, take the message to all the nations again, or all the ethnos, all these people groups. Joshua Project says there's 17,000 of them. The church is called to do that. We've been told to do that for the last 2,000 years. Then in verse 48, he says, you're witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. 
So Jesus says this blessing of his father is going to be upon us, which is like Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. We're not going alone. This is not Jesus calling us to go and, you know, be some lone wolf out there. Uh, he, the God of the universe, is with us wherever we go through the Holy Spirit. Here's some key similarities. So this is my, for my study here. Key similarities that I noticed. As Christian disciples, we have work to do in all nations and all people groups. They're both right there in both those passages. It's a global endeavor. <clears throat> both of the authors emphasize that. Both of them show that God's the power source. It's not up to us. Uh, Josh, or Joel, I just want to bounce off you again just to say, right, some days in ministry, because Laura and I work in full-time ministry with Master Plan as missionaries to college kids in southwest Colorado. Sometimes you see great results. Sometimes you don't. And I'm always saying, leave the results up to God. Let's share the gospel. Let's see if anybody will sit down who wants to learn, but we're leaving the results up to God. It's up to him to do the work. We can't actually do the work. We just show up and say, God, use us. Live your life through me. Here's some key differences. Matthew, in Matthew 28, his main verbs are make disciples. How do you do it? Baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Those are all things that are done to people that are already professing Christians. You don't go up to people that are like atheists and baptize them. These things are related to the teaching elements and the leading believers into taking steps of faith. Luke his main verb is proclaiming the repentance and forgiveness of sins. The teaching of believers is what we, in Christian language, in our Christianese language, call discipleship. Discipleship is this funny word. It actually doesn't appear uh, in the Bible. You know, make disciples, it says in the Bible, it doesn't say discipleship or discipling. Sometimes you type that into your Word document. If you're typing in Word, autocorrect underlines it in red. It's like discipling is not a word. We just use it. It's Christianese. But what it's getting at is teaching people to obey all the things that Christ has commanded them. That's what we mean when we talk about discipleship. Proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins is what us Christianese people are saying when we say evangelism. We're not just saying, let's go plant flowers at the local school that's run down. That's great. Uh, we're not saying we should go and serve the homeless. Also good and great and have compassion Go and serve them. That's awesome. But evangelism has to do with proclaiming forgiveness through Christ, which involves turning away from sin, repentance. It's a big deal. So Luke really focuses on evangelism. Matthew really focuses on discipleship. I think that's helpful because they're both true. They're both Christ giving his last words recorded by two different authors, and they have to do with evangelism and discipleship primarily. They're big deals, or at least they can be summarized by evangelism and discipleship. Regardless of these being Jesus' last words, throughout all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is modeling evangelism and discipleship the whole time. And if you read Paul's letters, he is modeling evangelism and discipleship the whole time. Now, it's got to get contextualized. You might be a beef rancher in Mexico doing evangelism and discipleship as you build these relationships. Or you might be, you know, doing... Uh, we know some friends who actually raise sea slugs in Indonesia as their business model in a closed nation, so that they can share Christ. It's a big deal. But doing evangelism and discipleship are the core elements of the Great Commission, or what we would call missions. The end goal isn't, you know, uh, as awesome and good and fantastic as hospitals are. Christian hospitals, what an awesome door 
uh, to walk through if you're in medical missions. You really are meeting people's needs. And if you're bringing the gospel with you, you're meeting their greatest need as well because everybody's going to stand before God someday. Evangelism and discipleship are these uh, big pieces of the Great Commission that if you can hang your hat on them, it'll help you to realize, you know, am I doing the Great Commission? Am I doing missions in my backyard or in another country or not? We're called to do it in all the nations. It's God's plan A. Okay, so we have airplanes today and the internet, uh, a lot of financial resources to go and reach the nations for Christ. Uh, whenever we do mission trips with college kids, we take them overseas. You know what the coolest thing is? They want to learn to speak English. They want to like get their picture with some American to stick on their social media. It's like they like, typically speaking, they like Americans, at least in the places that we've gone, like Russia and Mexico and um, Cambodia. Anyway, uh, I think that's just helpful to break that down. This evangelism and discipleship is a good description, I think, of the mission or great commissions. What if we disobey? Do you think it's possible if we disobey as a church, as the Christian church in the United States, or as, you know, even a local church maybe, if we disobey, is it possible that God could discipline a nation or a church in a nation as important as America if we forget about obeying his last words that he gave, that he said, don't forget this, real important. You bet. You know what's funny? Like about all the politics going on right now at our southern border, which are like, you know, you have an opinion, that's fine. A lot of the nations are coming to the United States. Well, it's almost like God saying, do it your way. You know, I'm going to give you a command. You know, do it my way. I'm going to give you the command to go, or I'll figure it out some other way. You know, God did that with the Tower of Babel. He's like, I'll do it another way if you guys aren't going to spread around the world. He did that in Acts chapter 8. If you want to look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1, right after Saul persecutes, martyrs Stephen, it says, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. In verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Isn't that interesting? So they were doing this really cool church thing, you know, in Acts chapter 2, breaking bread, going house to house. That's awesome. I don't think they were going on mission. I think they were kind of like, we're actually having a pretty cool... People are giving up their land to like help other people. That's great. But they weren't going. They left out the going part. So God figured out a way to scatter them and to get his great commission accomplished. Um, Our stuff isn't safe if we're disobeying God. Our stuff, your 401k, your home. I mean, it's all going to burn someday. But God might make that day come sooner than later because he says the gospel is going to get preached to all the nations and then the end is going to come. If you're just like hoping and hoping that the world is going to get better, and you're not taking the Great Commission seriously, this evangelism and discipleship, just don't fall in love with your stuff. It's, it's just not the guarantee that we're going to get to just have all our stuff. In fact, the promise is we're getting separated from it by either death or, or something else someday. But God's word will be complete. He will have his way. This is his big plan that's unfolding right now. The gospel is going to be preached. The end will come. It's written. We can be a part of it, and it can be really exciting, or we can miss out. But you can be sure there's a reward for obedience, and there's discipline for disobedience. Here's some things I'm looking forward to in heaven. Uh, One of them is to hear God, you know, if I've been faithful, you know, Lord willing, with the treasures and the talents that I've been given, 
I'm looking forward, just like many of you, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's kind of like the rule-keeping part of Austin. I want to hear that. That's in the Bible. I want to be a rule-keeper. I want to hear my dad say, good job. Well, here's the compassion part of it, too. I want to get to heaven and see those myriads upon myriads of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And I want to meet some people that God used me to help them get there. Like, I think that's going to be about the most exciting thing in heaven. You know, after, like, seeing who Jesus really is, and, you know, that's going to be mind-blowing and awesome. But when you meet some little kid, Joel and Christy, that comes up to you and says, hey, I'm in heaven today. Thanks for laying down your life and going. I think that's going to be awesome. That's like the compassion side of me. It's like, man, I want to, I want to see that. I'm so thankful that when I was a kid, somebody went around and uh, laid gospel tracts in my town on the phone booth. And I would pick up these comic book gospel tracts and read them. <laughs> and the gospel seed was planted in my heart. I don't know if that person was black or white, or if they were in a wheelchair, or if they were... I can't wait to meet that person and say, thanks. <laughs> Getting out of your comfort zone, doing something to help be a part of evangelism in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. It's a big deal in my life. I'm in heaven. Small part. Jesus did all the work, but he used you. You know, it's a big deal. Uh, what makes me sad, you know, the compassionate side is to think that every day, somewhere around 150,000 people die. Okay, some of them never hearing the gospel. Their stories are finished on this side of eternity. God's the final judge. I'm not. I'm putting them in God's hands. I'm not going to beat myself up. But I am thinking, how am I going to make a difference? How am I going to help be a part of reaching people for Christ? So go send or disobey. Which group are you in? What is God calling you to? So I'm going to get a little bit practical here about how to go. Because it's one thing, and I've been in a lot of services where people say, go, do evangelism and discipleship. And then there's something else to say, well, yeah, how would you go? You know, what, is the, uh, what are the steps? So I'm going to try to be a little bit practical now about getting to be a part or maybe a greater part of the Great Commission to take some steps in obedience to make disciples of all nations. Okay, the first one is the hardest one. So we're going to go from hard to easy. Long-term, right? Colby's praying that God would call people to be long-term, cross-cultural, vocational missionaries. Okay, they're... The unreached places, like to go reach to unreached peoples, they're in the 1040 window. They're not safe places. They're not easy places. They're not like really beautiful places, particularly, depending on how you define beauty. But if God calls you to go, it's going to be hard. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be risks. You could lose your life. But Jesus said, if you lose your life, you keep it. So you don't lose your life. But there's real risk involved of getting out of your comfort zone and going to a place in the 1040 window where all these, or the vast majority of these unreached people groups are. Highly inconvenient. As Americans, as Americans I believe one of our big, uh, maybe idols in life is comfort. I mean, these places to go would be highly uncomfortable. So it's really going to take high level of faith. For people to go, it's going to be like, man, God's really got to give you a huge, big mustard seed of faith to go. Takes money to go, right? Takes money for a team to go, <laughs> to stay there long enough to plan a church and to see leaders raised up. It could take a million dollars. Is that worth it? I think so. You have to answer that individually, though. You really do. It's kind of depends on your compassion level. Is it worth it? 
So you, we all have this like little compassion meter. So you got to kind of put your finger on that thing. Is it worth it if it took a million dollars to send a team of people to Bangladesh to help reach those people for Christ and plant a church there and to see believers raised up where they could actually be sharing Christ among their own peoples, hopefully exponentially? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, the second one. Oh, you know what? On that first one, is that slide up there, Isaiah, the picture? From the website? If you go, how many of you guys, I mean, Colby encouraged us all to go check out these websites, imb.org, thejoshuaproject.net, and I forget the other one, because I didn't go to the third one, so I'm just being honest. But those two websites I checked out. This is on the IMB one, on the IMB homepage. If you scroll down, you know, they give you lots of vision and ideas and things to pray for. And then you scroll down, you get to this little part on the homepage. And it says, become a missionary. What are the options? And what is the process? And you can click on there and you can start learning if you think God's calling you to missions with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Church. And there's a process. It explains the steps. It talks about places where they need teams. It's extremely visionary. If anybody in this room right now thinks maybe God might call me or my family to do that, you might go to that website and just click around and just pray as a family or with your spouse or by yourself or whatever. It's extremely visionary. You know, I'm getting on that last night and, and realized, man, this is so cool. Like, there's stages in my life where if I would have seen this, my trajectory could have been totally different. One of the neat things about the IMB, which Colby mentioned too, is that this church and every Southern Baptist church pours into that piggy bank and then missionaries are fully supported from it. It's a big deal. Really, really cool. So um, <clears throat> go to a hard place, long-term overseas. Okay, and the second one, let's see, is a short-term trip, right? So you could go short-term cross-cultural. So that's like medium risk. And this church has done trips like that every year for the last few years. Going to Puerto Rico, going to Guatemala. Going to do some work project, maybe, and going to share Christ with folks. But we're getting out of our little comfortable America. We're going to get on a plane, and we might go smell trash in a trash dump. Or we might go drink questionable water coming from water bottles that have been tampered with. We're just not in America. You just don't know what you're getting into. But you're following Christ, and he's protecting you, and he's going with you. It's medium risk, medium cost. I think the trip to uh, Guatemala this spring coming up in March, which I think is still open to anybody who wants to consider going, I think it costs a couple thousand dollars to go. And we're, you know, everybody who's going is trusting God to raise money. Maybe the church is going to put some money towards it, I think. That's a question for Colby. But it's kind of like a medium cost, medium risk, somewhat inconvenient. Medium faith. Let's just say medium faith. Talk to Colby if you want to learn more about the Guatemala spring break trip. And I'd say, boy, if you think God's maybe putting it on your heart to go on that trip, right, pray about it and send him a text before you leave church today. Tell him. Say, hey, I'm thinking about it. Or you can find him on Facebook, Celebrating Oklahoma. You'll see him on there doing something. Send him a message on Facebook. Let him know you want to go. I'll give you his phone number if you want it. Okay, here's the third one, okay? So we just went from, like, high risk, right, to medium risk. And here's the realistic, like, just step up. Trust God with a tiny bit of your heart. Local evangelism. Low risk. Very convenient. You can still eat serious Texas at the end, end of the day. Mustard seed of faith, right? Just a tiny bit of faith. Uh, Jim Baird made an announcement last week. Did you hear it? If you were here last week, he said, boy, God's really put this in my heart. You know, he used to be an overseas missionary in a uh, pretty closed country in North Africa. 
Back here, he's got this heart to do evangelism in town and to do teaching. He wants to teach all of us. He wants to take us through some evangelism curriculum on how to share your faith better without fear. Well, how many of us could learn to share our faith better? I mean, honestly, raise your hand. If you think there's a chance you could somehow, somewhere learn to share your faith better. Okay, like, I think it's all of us. It's me. I share my faith a lot. I know there's great questions to ask people that I can't think of in the moment because there's something new. But he wants to do some training, and I know he's going to talk to the elders about it and get it more formalized, but I'm excited to go. Let's go learn how to share our faith, and then he wants to take us sharing our faith. Let's go do evangelism around Bayfield or downtown Durango. I don't know all that God's putting on his heart, but ask Jim Baird if you're interested in that. It's going to be cool. Every time we go share our faith with college students uh, or with anybody downtown or even this last week in our trip, you open your mouth and you start talking about Jesus or prayer or asking people questions, it's so cool to see the satanic lies fall away. Satan lies in my ears all the time, and he says nobody's interested. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody has time for that. Everybody already knows what they're doing. They're happy with their life. And then you open your mouth, and then you ask somebody, hey, how can I pray for you? Do you believe in prayer? Oh, man. Wow, thanks for asking. Yeah, I do. Can you pray for such and such going on in my life? What kind of Christian are you? Oh, well, all of a sudden we're talking about Christianity and Jesus and it's just opening your mouth, right? Have you ever given a gospel tract away? I mean, any five-year-old kid in this church can give away a gospel tract to somebody. My kids do it. Sometimes it's awkward. I'm always glad when they do because they're putting the gospel in somebody's hands. And I'm there to back them up, you know. It's kind of fun. But local evangelism, it's a big deal. Um, oh, this is kind of funny, but yeah, I'll share it. But do you know who does this? Do you know who's kind of screwed up evangelism? See, I can't even say that. Because I want to be tongue-in-cheek, but I can't. A lot of times people don't share their faith because the Mormons are doing that. The JWs are doing that. They're going out two by two. You know who else went out two by two? Jesus and the disciples. <laughs> now the Mormons might have kind of like made it weird. Screw that. The Jehovah's Witnesses might have made it a little bit awkward. They're wearing suits. They're knocking on doors. So what? They're trying to follow Christ, misguided with a false message, with a false gospel. But that doesn't mean we're any less called to go and share our faith or go out two by two. It's like, get over it. Don't let what some other cult has done to screw up evangelism. Because a lot of Christians in this room probably have never shared their faith before because they're a little bit afraid. Well, we got to encourage each other. we got to grow in compassion. we got to get out of our comfort zone. So Jim's going to help lead that up. It sounds like it's awesome. If you ever get a chance to help lead a house church in this church and you're asked to help teach, guess what you're doing? You're practicing teaching other believers from God's word. If you get a chance to sit down with your kids and you're teaching them God's word in the morning or at night or you're talking about the sermon on your way home, you're teaching God's word. You're in a people group. You're obeying the great commission. It's not hard, but if you don't do it and you think it is just for special missionaries out there, uh, you might never do it. And you might realize there's a million opportunities right in front of you to share the gospel with people that are lost or people that you just don't know if they're saved or not and to teach people around you God and his word. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities. And I think if you have an opportunity to do something in this church, and I know there are people who have different ideas in their hearts, you should go and talk to one of the elders and tell them your idea. Say, I got this idea. I really want to do the Sunday school class. Hope what? We don't do Sunday school class. Maybe we should. It's kind of like ask somebody. If God's putting it on your heart, don't feel like you have to leave the country to find out if you can teach a Sunday school class. Talk to 
Dennis, before you leave today. Sending. All right. So going. Those are these three options for going. Sending. Right. Being a part of this church every time you give something to the bowl. Some of it goes to World Missions in the International Mission Board. Some of it, some small percentage, goes to the Austin Laura Crocus Missionary Fund. You know, we reach college students and we serve these three teams to help reach students for Christ. But this church, whenever you give, you are supporting missions financially. Show up on the prayer nights on Tuesday night. Be a part of sending that way. Um, there's lots of ways. You can support an operation. Who did an Operation Christmas Child box? Did anybody get theirs done? You did better than us right there, Liam. Good job. Those things are helping to send the gospel out to these kids around the world. It's a big deal. And you're sending missionaries because there's missionaries on the field that are delivering those boxes. If you're praying for a missionary, you're part of sending. Pray consistently. Get on somebody's newsletter list. If you're sponsoring a child through Compassion International, they're committed to sharing Christ with kids. There's lots and lots and lots of ways to send and be involved in missions, whether they're local or even some of the more interesting, you know, fulfilling the Great Commission, helping to reach the least reached people ones. There's lots of ways to send. And then here's the last one I want to give you guys as an action point. So you can go, you know, I gave you those three options. You can send, lots of opportunities there. And then here's the other big fat one for us Americans uh, is to learn. Because the great people out there in the world of Google and Facebook land and iPod land, they are marketing your mind hard with getting you to listen to an audiobook on your way home about how to make money, I don't know, instead of some autobiography or a biography about a missionary that you can download. Instead of picking up a book on the back and reading a story from Voice of the Martyrs that'll make you cry, it's a lot easier just to throw on The Mandalorian. And just be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see this one yet. Take some time to invest in learning about what's going on in the world and what's going on in the Great Commission. I know Patty and um, probably Penny put these books out there on the back, and there's a lot of really good resources out there. So I encourage you guys to pick one up on your way out. Take some time to read it. The Operation World Book, are those free? The Operation World Books are probably like 15 bucks to go buy one. But guess what? Patty or somebody thought it was important enough that if you pick that book up, you can turn a different page and be praying for a different people group around the world like every day for the rest of the year. And you'll learn that there's tribes called like the Bozos. I mean, you'll just learn about the world and you'll be praying for people that you never knew and you'll be help, helping fulfill the Great Commission. So there's awesome books and resources back there. I hope you guys take them and learn. Read some missionary biographies. Get on those websites that Colby had mentioned, imb.org, joshuaproject.net and learn. Okay, in conclusion, I know I'm going long, but... Here's a quote from Hudson Taylor. He was like one of the fathers of modern missions in China. So, 100 years ago, he says, If in the sight of God, you cannot say that you are sure that you have a special call to stay at home, why are you disobeying the Savior's plain command to go? So he's very, he'd make you feel very uncomfortable. So here's Hudson Taylor saying, Jesus said to go. If God didn't, like, give you some business to, like, make a bunch of money to send missionaries, like, if you're not specifically, like, sending, like, why aren't you going? Why are you disobeying the Savior's plain command to go? If you read his biography, you'll probably get, like, floored. Really cool. Filled with faith. Tons of faith. Jesus' plain command to all Christians is to evangelize and disciple people from every nation. You can't, you really can do that right here, like... I could debate that with Hudson Taylor. You really can. But here's Hudson Taylor in a world where there is actually more unreached people then than there is now. Uh, but Jesus doesn't want us to forget to be about his business of making disciples. Missions, whether local right here or in the 1040 window, will take compassion 
and we'll take sacrifice. And I want to share with you guys uh, kind of like a closing passage before I pray that God used in Laura's in my life when we were um, fresh out of college and considering how to invest our marriage for God's kingdom. This is in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. So Peter began to say to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I'm going to read that again. And listen to it as you think about fears that might come into your mind when you think about, what if God was calling me to go? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, Dave, if you want to come on up here, I'm going to close this in prayer. God, we thank you uh, for the thread of Christians that brought the gospel message from Jesus through his disciples all the way to us. Thank you for people that were willing to get uncomfortable and make sacrifices in our lives so that we might be saved from your righteous judgment of the sin in our own lives. Lord, grow us up in compassion for the lost. Give us an eternal perspective. Let us not love this world or the things in this world more than we are willing to love the one who gave us these blessings. You're the best, God. Let nothing come in the way of our love for you. Lord, you've blessed us and made your face shine upon us. Now let us go so that all peoples, all tribes, and all languages might be reached. And we might rejoice in that day when we're all gathered around your throne singing praise to the Lamb who has slain and purchased those people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So years ago, I went on a missions trip to Jamaica, and I didn't go into it with a whole lot of expectations for what it was going to be like. I'd never been on a missions trip before. I was just told, bring earplugs, because these orphan boys you're going to be sharing a room with snore. So I brought earplugs, and on the first night, I was sleeping in this room full of bunk beds with Jamaican kids. I woke up the next morning, having not slept very well. I was missing one of my earplugs. And one of the... Uh, fellow missionaries that was from a church in Georgia said, oh, I'm a swimmer, and I brought all these little earplugs that you shove in your ear, and they mold to your ear, and I've got extras you can have. And I said, okay, thanks. And I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and it's like this big square. Every room has an outdoor door that goes into the square, and I'm walking down the sidewalk to the bathroom, and in this process of my midnight bathroom break, I realize I have some gum. Where did I get gum in the middle of the night? It was my earplug. And I suddenly knew what happened to the previous night's earplug. But uh, that to say, it was, a, it was an interesting trip for me in Jamaica, working with these orphan kids. I was able to bond with a little kid in my group who was kind of beat up by his peers, and they were stealing his stuff. And I kind of took him under my wing, and we became little buddies. His name was Richard, or in Jamaican, Richard. And uh, I wasn't able to make it the next year on the trip, but I heard that he was asking about me. 
um, because of the bond that we kind of shared a little bit, and it was a real special time for me. But throughout that mission trip, I didn't know what my purpose there was to be. I brought my guitar, and I was going to lead worship and to a bunch of high school kids that didn't know worship songs. And um, But then I realized that each, each group of kids had three leaders, and I was stuck with uh, two guys that were from our church here in Durango. And um, one of them, James, was um, he was the kid's friend. He would sit down with them, and he would have conversations with them, and he would agree with them, and he was their buddy. And uh, Bob, who was the other third guy in our group, was kind of the logistics guy. He would make sure things happened, and we all got to the events that we were supposed to be at on time. And um, I learned pretty quickly that God was using my experience as a bouncer in college uh, to work with these kids. I was the enforcer. I was the disciplinary. I was the one running across this orphan camp to take a rock out of one of my kids' hands before he bashed his friend in the head with it. And as I'm on this journey across to save this kid's life, I look over and my roommate Josh is sitting in a circle holding hands with his group of orphan kids praying. And I thought, how did I get in this group? And I just realized that that's what God tasked me to, to do there, was to uh, provide some discipline, some order, and I walked away from that uh, experience realizing that all I had to do to be a successful missionary was to be willing to go, and God was going to use the tools that I had in my bag already uh, to make an impact. I wasn't the kid's best friend. Many of them, aside from Richard, didn't like me, um, but it was an overall wonderful experience. So just keep that in mind uh, as we sing this next song, and maybe you pray about uh, possibly engaging in missions. Um, Sometimes earplugs disappear, and sometimes the tools that you don't know are in your bag or what God uses, even if it's not sitting down and teaching the Bible to somebody or sharing with them uh, what you may think are very important things about Christ and about Christianity. Sometimes your role may be not what you expect or um, not how you expected to get there, but... 